Aloha, this is Ari Eisenstadt. You're listening to KTUH. We want to welcome you all to the second ever Student Sustainability Caucus Roundtable discussion. Today we are joined by 10 sustainability warriors here in Hawaii with, Uni with the University of Hawaii. Uh, and we are just so honored to have you today. We're going to be joined by uh, different RIOs. We're going to hear about all the different news uh, and events that are coming up this month. Uh, and then we're going to hear from a special guest and talk about sustainability on campus, on the island, and on Earth. Now over to Max to introduce us. Thanks, Ari. So I'm Max Bendis. I'm one of the Student Sustainability Coalition coordinators. So basically what we do is we are an interconnected network of organizations on campus which are sustainability focused. We assist in communication between these two networks and find places for concurrent action to occur. Um, this is the Sustainability Hui. It's like a monthly event where we all get together and we talk about what we're doing and we find places for collaboration. And recently we started broadcasting them on KTUH. And so we're going to bring you a riveting, interesting discussion about science communication and how it impacts sustainability issues. But first, we're quickly going to go around the table and introduce some of the really pivotal, fantastic groups that we've been able to bring together for you today. So first, we're going to start out with um, Aurelia. Hey guys, guys uh, my name is Aurelia Gonzalez and I'm with the Hawaii Streams and Ecosystems group here on campus. And we're a new group. I'm really trying to get people to come into our doors um, and uh, collaborate with us. We meet every first Friday in Sherman 103 at 2 p.m. Uh, some of the like the activities that we do are to educate uh, others about watershed health. We remove invasive species with other collaborators. Uh, we're interested in green infrastructure, uh, oopu conservation, wetland restoration. If you have anything to bring to the table and you are uh, interested in fresh water resources, please contact us. Come to our meetings. Uh, we're having one. Uh, on April 5th at 2 p.m., Sherman 103. And you can also email me at aureliag at hawaii.edu, A-U-R-E-L-I-A-G at hawaii.edu. Hi, guys. Uh, my name is Sarah Tucker, and I'm here to represent Science Communicators Ohana. So SciComm Ohana is a group on campus that's focused on bringing effective communication skills for scientists so that we can reach out in a better way to our peers, to the community, and talk about science in a more efficient way. So we have an upcoming event on April 4th at um, 4.30 to 6.30 at Manoa Gardens on campus, and all are welcome to come. It's a science talk story event, very informal event where we'll be having Dr. Rosie Alagato and Amanda Millen. So Rosie is a scientist, Amanda is a journalist, and they'll be talking about from pond to press, the uniqueness of science communication within and about Hawaiian fish ponds. Uh, and if you want to connect with our group more, uh, we're always looking for new members, for new ideas, for workshops about science communication. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, uh, Science Communicators Ohana, and you can also email us at scicom at hawaii.edu. Thanks. Hey guys, my name is Kaylee Etherington. I help out with UH Free Garden. Uh, we recently just started uh, collecting plastic bottles and plastic utensils to make for uh, Earth Day uh, planters. And we're also starting a rinsing station over there. So we collected some plastic containers and also plates and utensils that you can come and bring or leave whenever you feel like you're wanting to get some food on campus. We also are using the hose on the side to wash dishes in the soap and a washcloth next to it. So um, feel free and come and enjoy the energy of the garden and also come pull weeds mm -hmm. and talk story with us. Um, yeah, thank you, you guys. Hi guys, my name is Laurel Perrin. Um, I'm here with the Surfrider Foundation UH Manoa chapter. Um, we are a nonprofit, an international nonprofit, dedicated to the protection of the world's ocean, waves, and beaches. And here at UH, we do that through a student activist network. I'm here um, to talk about the Earth Day Festival at UH Manoa. It's going to be held on Tuesday, April 23rd, from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. at Campus Center, with tabling from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Uh, there's a focus on uplifting waves to Malama Honua, meaning to take care of our island Earth. 
uh, various booths, clubs, and organizations will be there engaging with the campus community and sharing information in honor of Earth Day. Uh, if your organization would like to uh, table at this event, we're having an Earth, an Earth Day booth application where you'll be able to share your message and any upcoming, op upcoming opportunities that you may have. You can shoot me an email at lperrin at hawaii.edu. That's L-P-E-R-U-N at hawaii.edu. Uh, and I'll send you the Earth Day booth application. I also just want to um, say that the Surfrider Foundation is contributing to this event by creating a life of plastic display where we're going to be talking about how plastic is made, how it's used, and where it ends up. And if you want any involvement in that or just want to learn more about um, plastic and its presence in Hawaii, uh, tomorrow, Thursday, the 28th from 5.30 to 7 p.m. in Dean 104, we'll be having a working meeting where we'll be working on this project and we'd love to have you there. Thank you. Hello, my name is Dominique. I also help lead the Surfrider Foundation here at UH Manoa along with Laurel. Um, so along the Earth Day month, we're having a whole bunch of events. Another event we're having is a Manoa Stream Cleanup. There's an yearly event that we hold in the Lo'i patch with the Kanavai group and we collect the trash that is along the stream. So we come together, this time we're going to talk about watershed conservation, so Aurelia from Hawaii Streams and Ecosystems is going to be there giving some education and also we're going to be talking about the Manu Oku bird that is um, an endangered species of bird that is only found in Honolulu. And um, I'm inviting all of you guys, this is going to be on the 27th of April, it's a Saturday from 9.30 to 12.30. I hope to see you all there in an effort to understanding how important it is to see the whole spectrum from Mauka to Makai and conserve all, all our resources. Thank you. Thanks so much. This is Ari again. Uh, I'm coming to you as a director of the UH Manoa United Nations Association, where we focus on the five P's of sustainability, people, planet, prosperity, peace, and partnerships. And one exciting uh, area of sustainability is around human rights. And this month, April 17th, at 12 p.m. in Kuykendall, uh, we'll be having the Human Rights Dialogue. Uh, this will also be broadcast across campuses. Uh, so we invite you to join us for that as we start to put together a universal periodic review for the Human Rights Council at the United Nations in Geneva, where we'll be talking about human rights on island. Um, I also am coming to you as the GSO Sustainability Chair and want to give another shout out for our April 23rd Earth Day uh, Festival on campus uh, where we'll actually be having a live and broadcast uh, version of this Student Sustainability Roundtable at our speaker series. We'll also be having music and art, great food. Please join us there. Thanks. Hi, uh, my name is Emily. I'm a PhD student in oceanography. And at my core, alongside science, is uh, sustainability and also science communication. So I'm also involved in Saikomohana with Sarah. Um, but today I'm coming as a representative for the TESTA Symposium. So this is a research symposium hosted by the biology department that showcases undergraduate and graduate level research across UH Manoa. Um, a really fun aspect of the TESTA Symposium this year is that we are going for Hawaii green event status. This means that it will be zero waste and we'll be uh, intercepting our waste management and we're um, um, doing all that we can to keep this as a sustainable event as possible, hopefully to set precedent for future conferences. Uh, so this event is going to be from April 10th to 12th at the East-West Centre uh, Keone Auditorium. Everyone is welcome to pop in for any talks throughout the event. We'll also be doing a couple of uh, workshops related to science communication, talking to the media as a scientist, and also about working with Native Hawaiian communities and being able to conduct your research in a respectful uh, but beneficial manner. Thank you. Hello everybody, my name is Harvey. I'm here representing Windward Community College uh, as a student uh, senate member, sustainability club president, and <clears throat> also club member of the Windward Community College Surfrider Foundation. And over here at uh, University of Manoa, I am the outreach chair with the Society for Conservation Biology. I wanted to give a little shout out for Volunteer Week happening the second week of April, the 7th through the 13th. It's going to be happening inter-island, and there uh, is it's being hosted by Kanu Hawaii. Their goal of 100 events and 5,000 participants uh, throughout that one-week period, it will help uh, really just network the community asset, which is 
the human resource, which is our greatest asset. So please, please do check out kanuhawaii.org and sign up for any of the events that you find in the list that speak to you. Great. Thanks, Harvey. Uh, so this is Max again. Aside from my work with the Sustainability Coalition, I also work with Harvey and the Society for Conservation Biology here in Hawaii, but I'm not a board member over there. Uh, what I do is I run their Science Communication Committee. So that's pretty self-explanatory, obviously, but the, the committees of SCB are kind of where all, all the really interesting work happens. You know, that's where the, the action goes on. That's where we um, are talking to people and integrating with people and getting people involved in conservation science. And also, you know, getting people on the ground and going to these volunteer opportunities that we give to people. So with Volunteer Week coming up, we're really excited to bring you all sorts of great opportunities for you to get out into the natural world and start to give back. But if that's not enough for you, uh, please check out our website. It's www.hiscb.org. You can sign up to be a member. It's completely free for students of any school, and it's only $10 for non-students. You'll get lots of email opportunities about ways to volunteer and sort of give back. But also, you know, if you want more, you can join one of our committees. We have science communication, policy, and education and outreach. And policy and education and outreach, they don't have uh, committee chairs right now. So if you're really keen on getting involved, we've got wonderful leadership opportunities for you to get into. Um, so now we're going to get really into the meat of this uh, sustainability hooey, so to speak. So our, our keynote speaker for today, I'm very, very happy and proud to introduce uh, Dr. Mark Hickson to all of you. Um, Mark is the, the Sydney and Erica Sow Endowed Professor of Marine Biology and the chair of the Zoology Graduate Program here at UH Manoa. His research in marine ecology and conservation biology, especially regarding coral reefs, and he's regularly involved in scientific outreach. Uh, Mark has some online TEDx talks that you can listen to, and he's also appeared on the PBS TV show Saving the Oceans. Um, so Mark is my go-to guy at UH for all science communication, everything. So when he was available to come and talk to us and sort of lead this discussion today, I was really, really excited. So I'm really happy to hear him speak again, and I'm sure we'll all have a really wonderful opportunity to learn from his exten extensive experience as a science communicator and as a scientist. So I'm pleased to open the floor up to Dr. Mark Hickson. Mahalo, Max. Very kind of you. Um, I want to stay right up front that I've been doing science communication for a long time now. And I'm so inspired by your generation, all you around the table, that I, my hope is now raising that the world will actually change because of your efforts. Uh, we've been working on these problems for such a long time, communicating science to society, making sure that people understand science and that some of our major environmental issues are faced. Um, and we're starting to run out of time. So it's, I believe it's very important for all scientists to step up and make their science known to all citizens. So to help do that, I've come up with a list of sort of rules of thumb for communicating science to non-scientists, which is the most important thing we can do. And these are short lists. There's only about five items in each, and they, they overlap, but they're three different lists. I'm going to give you mine first, of course, and then I'm going to give you a list from a couple organizations that are very well adept at um, science communication. And then we can discuss these points. So I have, five, I have five things in my list. This is, you know, how do I actually communicate my science to non-scientists in a way that's effective? Number one is to know your audience. It's very important to know what your audience wants, who are these people, what their psychology, their world views are like. Now, of course, if you're radioing to the entire world, you have to sort of amalgamate everything into one. But if I'm speaking to, say, a group of um, environmentalists, I'll probably speak somewhat differently than if I'm speaking to a group of skeptical Republicans. So knowing the audience is very, very important. What are their backgrounds, education, wants, needs, attitudes? Number two, focus on a few main points. As scientists, we typically want to give all the details and all the data and all the background, 
but it's too much for people. So we need to not overwhelm our audience with data. And if we're using visuals, typically graphs from scientific papers are not effective for the public. Very simple illustrations. Um, one rule of thumb I've been given a few times in this context is, what's the level of the science I should be talking about or the level of the language? And typically, the recommendations are somewhere between middle school and high school. And it's a fine line people must walk because you don't want to sound patronizing or condescending by being overly simplistic, but at the same time, it's very easy to lose people in scientific details. That leads me to number three, avoid technical jargon at all costs. Don't use any acronyms. Don't use any scientific words, really. And I, let me give you one simple example. I was speaking in Idaho once, and I used the word, I was introduced as a marine biologist. And there were people there, not stupid people, people who believe that I was a biomedical expert for the U.S. Marine Corps. Okay? So I don't even use the word marine anymore. I tend to use the word ocean. Everybody knows what the ocean is. So keep it simple, but not overly simplistic. Number four, speak from your heart. We have to be human beings as we speak, not robots spouting out data. So be as human as possible. Be careful with humor, but use humor appropriately and carefully. Use everyday examples and analogies to bring it home to the audience. The key question most people want to know about science is, so what? Why is this science important to me or somebody else? And number five, separate your science from your citizen, your scientist from your citizen. This is a big one, because typically scientists at one point or another are asked, well, what's your opinion about what we should do? How should we address climate disruption? How should we address GMOs or invasive species? And at that point, it's important to say, okay, that's fine, but I'm no longer speaking as part of the scientific community. I am now speaking as a fellow citizen, and this is my opinion. And that's fine, but make those two roles separate. And very importantly, don't avoid the role of speaking as a fellow citizen. I did not abdicate my citizenship when I became a scientist. And it's so important for scientists to speak up as citizens. Okay, that's my list. Let me give you two more, a little shorter, and then we can start talking. There's a group called C-Web and another group called Compass, which are focused on science communication as they relate to the ocean. And they give a nice little four C's list that's useful, especially in interviews, in speaking with um, any kind of journalist. And there are four key words, and I'll whip through them, and then I'll explain them, are concise, conversational, clever, and correct. So concise and this is getting a little repetitive now, avoid scientific jargon and lengthy sentences. Being concise is very important. Going on and on and on is counterproductive. It may work at a scientific conference, or if you're writing a monograph, it doesn't work with the public. Conversational. A good interview is a friendly exchange. Be yourself. Again, be a human being. Speak as you would to any other person who's not a scientist. Clever. Use examples, analogies, visuals, parables, stories, personal experiences. Bring it home. Make it natural. There's different ways to get the message through. And fourth, correct. Make sure you're speaking scientific facts as far as they're known, but also ask the interviewer if they got what you said, if it's an exchange. Make sure you're being heard. Okay, the last list is very short and pretty much a wrap-up, and we'll get on 
to our discussion. This is from the American Geophysical Union, which is a, a scientific organization that represents basically anyone who studies the Earth and all the Earth systems. And they have a very, very good scientific communication group, and they have a very quick list to keep in mind. And they said, remember always. And a summary, I'll give you these six points. One, keep it simple. Two, be passionate. Three, make it local and audience relevant. Four, focus on your message, your nice, concise, short message. Five, use examples, bring it home. And six, avoid jargon. And with that, let's talk. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mark. Really great having you here. Um, just in case any of you out there are wondering what does sustainability and science communication have to do with each other, um, all sustainability activism is science communication, whether we realize it or not, or whether we're consciously thinking that we're science communicators or not. And really, these tenets of communication, they don't need to be limited to just science alone. You know, these are good ways to engage with people to talk about things that you're passionate about or think are important. And it's it's that point number four that you mentioned, Mark, that passion that I think is the most important part of science communication or really just any communication in general. You know, when I think back to the professors that I've had in school who have been really sort of uh, pivotal or influential in my you know career as a student and now as a scientist, I think about the professors who were passionate and they let that passion flow through into their discussions and their lectures. You know, even earlier today, I, I was listening to a, to a presentation and it was about something that I'm super passionate on, but the presentation itself was just lackluster and not passionate. And so I, I had trouble paying attention to it. And I was like, this is ridiculous. I love this topic. Why can't I listen to this presentation? That's because the passion didn't come through. So that's what I want everybody to think about. And that's what I always try to speak through is my passion and to find that in my voice as a communicator. Yes, I also I agree with that. And number point number four, speak from your heart, also resonated a lot with me, especially for sustainability, because sustainability in itself requires us to connect at levels that we don't usually do while we're doing businesses or talking about politics or other things. Sustainability is more holistic and it, it goes deeper levels. So I think speaking from the heart is something very important when it comes also conveying scientific facts too and bringing it home that because we everybody experiences too. We all have a, a personal story that goes with that. So I agree with that and I've been personally also struggling with that because while being in school um, in terms of the academic world and then seeing myself as a citizen and and having my own experiences I sometimes feel that confusion and how to have a good balance within both right how to keep my credibility but continue speaking from my heart how to not say something that's too biased or how to keep that correct right how, how to maintain your facts correct so my question is that like how do we what's what's a, a, a tool or, or a good thought to have to always balance those two not go too much on the personal side keep the facts correct I think Mark offered the the keeping the citizen separate from the scientist is like a really good way to kind of um, it's not to mitigate like the what you're trying to communicate as much as just provide a parameter of the like of uh, the understanding of the audience you're trying to target so i mean between the scientific community and then just the people at large and like how we are representatives of a of the global body because we are sustainability advocates um is how i think it's just uh it, we have to just check ourselves on that it's it's not limited to just academia that w what we're communicating we know is going to is going to make that stretch yeah, I think uh, Mark also had a point. His One of his first points was just knowing your audience. And I think that can help balance uh, your relationship with being a scientist and, you know, being involved as an active citizen um, is just, yeah, pausing yourself and, and checking in. OK, th these are my opinions and this is where my opinions are coming from. 
but what is what are the what's the person sitting next to me? You know, he might be a farmer, he might be a politician, he might be an urban planner. You know, what are their objectives? Where are they coming from? Um, so I also struggle with you know trying to keep my uh, you know my opinions out from when I'm giving scientific consultation. Um, but it a part of becoming a good scientist is knowing is knowing other perspectives and knowing where people, where their roots are, what their, uh, what their investments are. Um, so asking those questions and being approachable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey guys, this is Sarah here. Um, I just wanted to add in the part about um, the fact that even though we're scientists, we are, we are so human. And um, when we're talking about sustainability in general, and what needs to happen for us to have a more sustainable future. As scientists, we are saying we need to meet you know, criteria X, Y, and Z, which usually means that we need to change people's behavior. So if you can also remind the people that you're talking to that you're also a person and that you will also be changing your behaviors because of these, these actions and these needs, then I think that kind of allows people to see you in a different light. You're not just a scientist, you're an ambassador. So, Emily here, I've got something to add to that as well. I think we actually do a lot more science communication than we give ourselves credit for and we don't even realize it. So we live our lifestyles by a sustainable way. And whether you, you know, you're not doing that to impress anyone or to teach anyone, but people notice when you reject that straw or, you know, what, what, what decisions, what, what are you going to buy? Where are you going? What restaurants are you going to eat at? And I feel that when you have a community of people around you that see you setting this example, it's a really subtle, but they, they trust what you're doing. And, and that's a really powerful way to, to really normalize sustainable practices every day. Harvey here. The word trust you just used was, I think, um, major point um i mean between trying to gain the access the access to trust of the general public through science communication you know there's a lot of like economic conversations that follow suit to try to discredit the fact of that what science is trying to bring to the table but i think that that's only an opportunity to really you know bring to the table you know more opportunities for ways that we can be ambassadors in the way we make adjustments in order to help the big picture adjustments need to happen and it is it's 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 somehow it's come now to the fact of our own patriotism and that we need to really represent you know what the inalienable rights of this country were meant for and it's not not without reason that you know it's so many people are falling to this sense and the notion of like falsely representing facts and we can't we can't stand for that it's it's completely and inherently against what this country was based on and why why we're moving forward or, and how we're going to move forward absolutely uh these are all really great points this is ari again um and th- thanks so much mark for for those um for those lessons on communicating science um i wanted to ask about uh about tone especially around environmental issues um the, what are your thoughts on the current state of of the environment of the oceans and and how do we communicate that um, there, there's this whole debate of whether we're in this crisis. There are talks of climate genocide, of really of a mass extinction happening, of really scary things. Um, but it also seems to paralyze people with fear. Um, but uh, on the other end, are we? Are, is it? Is there too much greenwashing going on? And is there too much hope when we really don't have the policies in place to fix and turn around these issues? How do you ba- how, how do you balance the those two uh, areas of of talking about tone around these, uh, around these issues? Thank you, Ari. That is such an important question these days. Incredibly important. It's a tough one because people can be overloaded so quickly by bad news. And the typical response of overwhelmingly bad news is to shut down one way or another, even as far as going into denial, which is what a huge fraction of the United States is doing right now. So we can't paint such a picture that people go into a sense of despair and hopelessness because no action comes from that. There has to be hope. So the real choices are hope and despair. At the same time, too much greenwashing is not a good idea because there's a human tendency for, well, things are pretty good. I don't need to worry about it. The guy next door will take care of it. 
So we just sort of put things off to the side. So it's walking that line. And I don't know exactly what the answer is. I know that each person has their own sort of worldviews around these things. Some people don't need to be scared very much to take action. Other people, you almost have to hit them between the head with a two-by-four before they'll do anything. And um, I don't know. I've tried to walk that line. I have a, a blog piece that's coming out at some point through Stanford University, and I entitled it, Why Americans Are Letting the Ocean Die, dot, 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 and Why It's Not Too Late. Because I, you know, I lay it out pretty bluntly, and then I lay out reasons for hope. And the bottom line is to spur action, because there's no question, if we continue as a society down this track that we've been on, bad things will be happening to this generation and all coming generations. We have to change our path as a society. That has to be made clear in a way that spurs action. That's great. And what, what, in your mind, are the biggest areas for action? And, and how hopeful are, are you? In my mind, there's a difference between hope and optimism. I'm not particularly optimistic, but I am hopeful. Because the only alternative to hope is despair. So the way I'm looking at it is I'm going to go down doing everything I can. Easy for me. I'm a grandfather now. And with those grandkids, I have all the motivation in the world. People around this table, it's going to be their lives and their children's lives if they choose to have children. So that's always a big motivation. But what can be done, um, as was said earlier, we can each make personal choices and live lives of example, which is, is not difficult to do. It's so important for people to know that we have it fully within our technology to solve pressing environmental issues without severe effects on the economy. This choice between the environment and the economy is, a, is nonsense. We can have both. It's just choosing to do so. It's really in the United States going to boil down to corporations either losing their power or shifting into new directions. Because, frankly, in the United States, it's all about money. In just this short time, I, I just feel so inspired by, um, you know, how it's kind of, re it's come to reducing it to our, our civility. You know, we've lost our, 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 our civil values. And if we take so much pride in our civilization that we're so fast losing, you know, it should be a crime against humanity to falsely represent science and, you know, our, what, what our needs are and, I just I feel like there there is no such thing as blind liberty, and that as scientists we are we are the true patriots that need to call to yeah come to the call to action. Yeah, you're reminding me of a quote by um, Aldous Huxley, who once said, "Facts do not cease to exist because they are ignored." I love that quote. We do represent the knowledge that humans have amassed in the most rigorous way possible, science. And the assaults on science now in this nation at the governmental level in Washington, D.C. are absolutely appalling. And this is, um, this is probably one of the most important things we can do tangibly, is turn around the assault on science. Aurelia here. Mar I have a question for you, Mark. Uh, so what is the trade-off? Is it and what should we put as scientists, what should we invest more in? Should we do it with education and really try to help uh, the community understand why we care about these things and what the cause and effects of all these, this, you know, climate catastrophe is? Or is it with policy? Um, or is it with technology? You know, do we really need technology? I know we'd all like to see all of those things, but coming from a science education background, um, I wondered what, you know, you thought about that. I know um, in, in the work that I do, you know, a lot of people advocate, oh, we need this huge education piece. And right now I'm kind of finding that, no, we need this huge technology piece. It's not just the education. We just need a, a different, like, 
technology and solution for this this whole mess. It's too messy. Yeah. Uh, and but then you know, it's like, well, we need policy to emplace these things. So, uh, what what is your opinion on that? I believe all three of those have to go hand in hand. I I, I don't believe we can let go of any one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, education at all levels. Education of our fellow citizens in our neighborhood, education at schools, education of policymakers, education of politicians at all levels is, is critically important. There has to be policy changes at high levels in the United States for the change to really take place. Mm-hmm. So that's probably the most important focus for education now, if we can get people to listen. And from that, With inspiration will come the new technologies from the entrepreneurs, from the inventors, from the scientists working together. Emily here. I just want to add a bit to that. I completely agree. And I think there's one more component um, that we can add to that is just daily participation. So even if you're not a scientist and you're not a policy expert and you're not an engineer that can make this great technology, you can still be part of this movement and be part of this climate by just living in a world mindfully in a sustainable way. And you're already contributing to that in some way. So, you know, I think our discussion is quite tipped towards scientists right now, but it could be towards anyone <laughs> and i think that's a really important message to to move forward we we're not just scientists we are humans like we've been saying and and everyone can have a part in that and one of the simplest things this is mark again one of the simplest things anybody can do is just to conserve energy we could our energy problems would be so small if people would turn off a light switch when they leave a room don't leave the ac on when you're not home things like that is very easy things that make a huge difference yes and also to to go back to how important communication is and not only scientific communication but i'm also an optimist but i feel like we're bound to have we're about to face really hard times we like it or not right so I, i think we're well past that time of Let's, let's learn, let's educate, let's set policy in place, let's create technology for behavioral change, and let's change our behavior, and let's make it better. I think, I think that's still part of the equation, but I think it's really important that we start talking also about how do we add to that equation, building a more resilient community. How do we plant seeds of resiliency in what we do, how we act, the intentions that we have? And that's where I think communication is key, because if we start inducing um, more community in the way we communicate with each other because we're all going to have needs that are going to be compromised, that are going to be threatened, and we're going to feel uncomfortable. So we really need to rely on how to communicate efficiently just to, just to you know, support each other. And so to add to what Aurelia was saying, um, and it's like it's a full circle, right, because it comes back to communication. So. Not only what we do at at an individual level, how much we're able to educate other people, how much policy we set in place or technology we have, I think it's just getting ready for this and having the best attitude, right? Oh, Sarah here. I just wanted to add, also, you know, we need to prepare ourselves by seeking out the resources that are out there. There's so much information available to us through the internet, so many great science communicators that are on YouTube or on podcasts, um, newspapers. There's So in order to prepare for us to be more sustainable, we need to think about what, what ways are we getting information and um, just allow ourselves to to absorb the information and to seek it out and then to be able to share it with others because that's when conversations can can really happen. So we can educate each other, but we should also take time to educate ourselves. And I just really encourage people to seek out um, and whatever science communication um, media they like, whether it's by reading or by listening, um, there's just a lot of information out there and you have access to it. This is Max again, guys. I, I just want to pivot slightly because there's a point that I want to make about jargon specifically. So, and pretty much all three of Mark's lists, they mentioned avoiding jargon or eliminating jargon entirely. And I, I think that's really important, but there's also different kinds of jargon to conceptualize as a scientist. There, stuff I like to call replaceable jargon, which is like, you know, fancy Latin words that we scientists love to use, like abiotic is one that we use all the time, but it's replaceable. We can just say not living. Uh, but then there are things 
that I call irreplaceable jargon. So it's when you have a complex concept that gets distilled down into one phrase. And so the example that I always go back to is something that's really important and destructive here in Hawaii. It's eutrophication. So that's the process by which agricultural inputs like fertilizers and pesticides work their way into our water systems and then go out in, into the ocean. They cause algal blooms, which deplete oxygen in the water and lead to death of sea creatures. Um, so that's kind of a long thing to talk about. And especially, I do a lot of written media for science communication, so we're very word limited. So we can't you know, take a whole paragraph to explain what a concept is, but you know, I think it's still really important to take some time away to sort of explain these complex concepts because when you when you have these sort of somewhat abstract or complex ideas and you can distill them down into one word like eutrophication, it aids in the communication of these ideas because you you know you take this thing and you distill it down into one word which can be shared much more readily, and it, it sort of makes the idea more permanent in your own brain when you can take this sort of range of ideas and abstracts uh, and solidify them into one thing. So like, yeah, we should almost always avoid replaceable jargon. You know, it's there's sort of this ivory tower thing with scientists where we're hoarding all of our knowledge and keeping it to ourselves because we use all these fancy terms that people are sort of put off by. Um, so jargon that we can get rid of, I think we absolutely must, but there's other types of jargon that we kind of need to hold on to and that are really important for communication. And so I think we need to find ways to sort of teach that jargon and, you know, distill it into something that's actually understandable for somebody who doesn't have the background in science that we do. So Max, I wonder if you have a, a response, how do you... How do you do? How do you use the term eutrophication, or how do you get around that? I wonder if you explain it in the context of disrupting a natural balance. You know, there's nature's balance. I feel like that could a lot of people could receive that message quite well. Yeah, you know, there are there are lots of ways to conceptualize how you do that, and you're you're entirely right in that point. Um, for me, it's just a series of simplifications. So you know, I take something that's complex and I simplify it once, and then I try to simplify it again. And then I take, how can I turn this sentence into one word or two words? Um, it's actually a really useful writing exercise, you know, for anything that you're writing. How can I say this more simply or more clearly? Um, you know, one of the things that I've heard as an example is if you can't explain it to a six-year-old, you don't actually understand it yourself. Um, so that's kind of what I would say, you know, try to simplify it to the point where you can say it in a sentence or say it in a few words, and then you can sort of start to add stuff back in there to make your picture much more sort of full and complete. I have to add about that. Uh, this is Aurelia from Hawaii Streams and Ecosystems. Uh, so when I use the word watershed, it's kind of a buzzword. People hear it a lot. Um, but when I'm sitting down and trying to educate about system, you know, parts of the system in the watershed, people actually go, I have, I had no idea. And so uh, I think definitions get lost a lot. And so that's one great thing to clarify when you're speaking to whatever group. Um, we might think the word watershed, everybody knows, but really, you know, that person may know the word, but they really don't understand um, the, the, the holistic um term, you know, so, so making sure that definitions are understood um, between, between two people before going, moving forward into the next topic. So really, I think that's a great point. And what I've realized is that a lot of us don't even realize when we are using jargon. Yeah. And the most yeah. important thing is to put yourself out there and practice talking to people. Talk to a six-year-old and find out what do they know? Like, what am I missing? Because there are so many words that I throw around that I forget that people don't know the deep sea as well as I do. What, do, I, do I have to explain chemosynthesis? Like, I did, I forgot that, yes. right? And so I think yeah. practice, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, guess, I guess I should, yes. <laughs> um, I think practice is a really great key and that's by putting yourself out there and having these conversations with people. It doesn't have to be anything formal, but just day to day. Yeah, Sarah here from Science Communicators Ohana. So 
speaking of jargon and words that we can't replace, science communication. Let's define that word. Yeah. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> I actually happen to have a um, article on me called a "Shifting Tide: Recommendations for Incorporating Science Communication into Graduate Training." Mm. And in this article, they define science communication as the use of appropriate skills, media, activities, and dialogue to produce one or more of the following personal responses to science. Awareness, enjoyment, interest, opinion forming, and understanding. So that kind of broadens, I think, what we were talking about with science communication just a little bit. And um, yeah, speaking of jargon, let's keep that from happening. <laughs> I'm so thankful for that. Uh I hear, I hear the personal reflections, and this is Harvey again, sorry. Um, thankful for Max also for bringing that pivot to the conversation that kind of brought us to where we are now. And uh, again, also a thank you to Domi for bringing the topic of resilience. So maybe now as we kind of move towards the closing, um, we can connect all these different factors now because it seems like there's this comfort layer in our communications that we need to kind of push through. There's a boundary of comfort that people often stigmatize and don't don't feel comfortable going there and having these conversations and then that's kind of what we're doing here but as well as that is in, in, in these communication dynamics sometimes people become horrible listeners like they just become selective listening and they feel they're being resilient to their values but really they're just full of fallacies and so i want to i just want to offer like how, how do you guys see being more compassionate with people who feel they're just being resilient in the communication styles and loss of definitions and just stubbornness. Mm -hmm. How do you guys see compassionate communication making a stand for our future? Harvey, I'm really glad that you brought that up. Um, so something that I try to do as a science communicator is to approach from a position of neutrality. So obviously I have my own personal biases those are pretty obvious from the context of our discussion here today. But it's important to sort of set those aside when you're talking to an audience that doesn't automatically agree with you. And so when you come from a position of neutral, you can kind of bridge that gap a little bit more where it's not me versus all of you that I'm trying to convince. It's, hey, we're having a discussion. It's not anybody versus anybody else. And then the other part of it is that, you know, you need to give people the freedom to come to their own conclusions. You know, we can't just be environmental fascists. We need to be environmental communicators and champions. And so, you know, kind of what, what we talk about in the science communication program that I'm involved in is um, giving people all the correct information first. You know, a lot of the big anti-intellectual and anti-science problems we have today are based on people making decisions with the wrong information. So anti-vaccination, climate change denial, flat earth, these are all issues with misinformation uh, being spread on social media and in other areas as if it were 100% true. And so if we take the time and the energy to give people the correct information and then allow them to come to the right conclusion for them in their lives, that's how you sort of make that next step in getting your point across and getting people to break out of their mold of, you know, I think this and that's correct and more like, I think this, somebody else thinks this, here's some new information, maybe I need to change what I think or maybe I'm reaffirmed in what I think. The important thing is really to give people information in a way that doesn't make them feel like you're patronizing them or telling them that they're wrong for doing what they want. Max, I'm really glad you say that because I think really at the core of science is objectivity. You're doing bad science if you say, I'm going to do this to prove this. You need to say, well, all the facts suggest this and I'm going to test this. And, and you look at your data. What does your data tell you? If it doesn't agree with your hypothesis... Well, then you've got some more science to do, right? And so I think staying objective in this and laying out facts is something we should remind a lot of people we encounter. You know, I'm not being a biased science scientist. I know that I really care for facts and scientific data, and this is what the data tell me. And so this is how I'm going to, this is how I choose to live my life based on these facts. And I encourage everyone around me to have the same objectivity and investigate for their own, for, for themselves, what, what is important and how, and how should you proceed in life. 
Harvey Ginn, uh, something I'm observing is that it seems like there's a need to bring the parameters around the variations of our definitions to the table because I think it's just the small adjustments that can make a world of difference. And it's in that word alone, you know, that we talk about climate change, but, you know, in trying to mitigate our behavior, it's not about creating change and redesigning society. It's really not. It's about adjusting our collective behavior habits is making as many adjustments as possible now to meet this demand and so that seems to have like a a diffusing effect of you know triggering our biases and that's i think i think definitely was something we need is to just stop triggering each other fantastic well thank you all so much for for being here for our second ever our second ever uh student sustainability coalition roundtable uh, we're going to go around and give uh, final comments, uh, a reminder on our upcoming events, and a shout-out to any of our social media so you all can follow these great RIOs and educate yourself. Uh, so let's let's do that. Just very quickly, Ari. Um, so when, we've got Earth Day and Earth Month coming up. You know, it's, it's April. It's a, it's a whole big deal. Um, so I want to encourage everybody who's listening you know, to to take some of these things that we've talked about, about being a science communicator, about being passionate, about, you know, speaking well, but also speaking accurately to the people around you. Go, you know, go out and actually try some of these things, you know, try it with your friends, try it with your parents, try it with your like, you know, significant other, try it with strangers that you meet at the bar or in line at the grocery store or, you know, somebody that you see on the beach who just happens to throw a cigarette butt on the ground or some, like, can that misses the, the, the trash can, you know. Try it. Do something. Be engaged. Be active. We're not the only people in the world who are allowed to be sustainability activists, so you guys can too. So this is a call for artists, call for scientists, and call for the community. The Earth Day welcomes students, the community, we're passionate about our planet, the oceans, and conservation. We believe that poetry, art, and music, and other art forms create a palatable delivery of complex, of the complex reality that we live in. And the message, you know, needs to happen now. So please, Earth Day, call for artists. We thank you. We love you. Mm-hmm. So our call for artists will can be reached out through this uh, Student Sustainability Coalition. Any of the members here, Max, myself, Harvey, uh, Domi, and with the Surfrider folks, we're all very interconnected hooey of sustainability-minded folks. So just start spreading the word, tell a friend, and start you know being creative with how we look at the future. Okay, so typically every Wednesday up till um, our Earth Day celebration on Tuesday, April 23rd, we meet, it kind of switches around, like, um, you can contact uh, Savannah Adler at S-A-D-L-E-R-3 at hawaii.edu, or myself, L Perrin, L-P-E-R-U-N at hawaii.edu, um, and we'll let you know where we're planning on meeting and what kind of involvement you want, if you're an artist, a musician, if you want to speak at this event. Um, this is like a student audience and a uh, also the general public as well. This is one of the biggest Earth Day events on Oahu and super important um and also just like connecting this back to science communication like knowing your audience and um there's so many different ways that um like art speaks to different people and um all the tabling will speak to different people so it's really important that we have all these different aspects that will inspire people and um make them want to Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we've we've been talking a lot today about using our words as science communicators, but I think we've glossed over a bit the impact that visual media can have, and especially art. You know, we, a picture is worth a thousand words. Uh, so I'm really excited to see some Earth Day related art and to be even further inspired by it. And I know I can think of a few pieces of art that I've seen, uh, one of which is put up in our lab by my good friend, uh, Kahea Acosta. Uh, it's just a beautiful piece of art on on, bre- on on a breadfruit tree, and it's just you know the emotional or the emotions that you can instill in a person through a work of art. It's really special, and it's beyond what we can do with words alone. Yeah, and I'd like to challenge the artists out there who are participating in this event oh, okay. to um, to 
to think about the guidelines that Mark shared with us, because I think they do apply across different forms of science communication, from written to artist um, interpretations to music to all of it. So, yeah. Thank you guys all for coming today and speaking about such an important topic. So I hope that this Earth Day month is a great moment for us to play. <laughs> um, my name is Dominique Peña. Um, I'm with the Surfrider UH, also an SSC coordinator. And our social media is Surfrider UH and Instagram if you guys want to hit us up. I hope to see you in our Manuel stream cleanup this Saturday 27th of April, as well as during the Earth Day the 23rd of April. Uh, yes, this is Laurel Perrin. Um, if you would like to table at um, Earth Day uh, on Tuesday, April 23rd, or you would like to present some artwork or recommend some artwork that we should reach out, recommend some artists, or anything like that, again, my email is lperrin at hawaii.edu, l-p-e-r-u-n at hawaii.edu. Uh, yeah, and then tomorrow, uh, Thursday, the 28th, we have our working meeting where we'll be working on the license This is Kaylee with the Free Garden. Again, we're collecting all plastic utensils, and it, like we've talked about, that it just goes from any daily action. So it's if you're going to use a utensil, reuse it, drop it off at the garden. Also collect any seeds or plants, and we're happy to just take anything. You can take anything as well too. Thank you. Oh, and we're also next to the art building between us. And. Uh, follow us at UH Free Garden on Instagram, please. Thank you. Hey guys, um, so I just wanted to plug our Science Talk Story event. Uh, this is Sarah with Science Communicators Ohana. Um, so on April 4th, we'll have Dr. Rosie Alagato and Amanda Millen um, talking about science communication within and about Hawaiian fish ponds. And that's at on April 4th, 4.30 to 6.30 and it's um, at Manoa Gardens or Bali on campus. All are welcome to join. If you guys want to hear more about Science Communicators or Ohana, you can find us on Facebook or email us at scicom at hawaii.edu. Hey, this is Aurelia Gonzalez from Hawaii Streams and Ecosystems, a new RIO here on campus. And we don't have any social media or any websites to go to, so I'm really encouraging folks to walk in during our monthly meetings, which are held at 2 p.m. in Sherman 103, uh, and that's held every first Friday of the month. So in April, come in, Sherman, 2 p.m., uh, room 103, uh, for our, our April um, meeting. And we are going to start building biofences, so we're actually collecting plastic water bottles. If you guys have plastic water bottles with caps, at your house or in your classrooms or you please you know you find them on the street please pick them up bring them in I'm taking them in and we're gonna actually try to build this biofence uh, at the Earth Day event there in Campus Center and then go out and educate folks that are going to the Manoa stream cleanup um, on April 27th uh, so we'll be out there uh, please come email me at Aurelia A-U-R-E-L-I-A G for Gonzalez hawaii.edu. Thanks Aurelia. This is Max again. I just wanted to point out in case anybody's not aware, uh, Sherman Laboratory is a building at the UH campus. You can find it very easily by typing it into Google Maps. Um, so just once again, I, I represent the Society for Conservation Biology here in Hawaii along with Harvey. Um, you can find our website www.hiscb.org. We've got three wonderful committees for you to join. Policy, education and outreach, and my favorite, science communication. There's lots of opportunities for you to get involved. All you gotta do is go to our website, www.hiscb.org, and you can also follow us at hi underscore scb. Harvey here, my final adieu again, representing Windward Community College out on the Eastern Seaboard of Oahu holding it down with the community. And so, you know, with uh, all of these organizations, all of these different committees and projects that we have going on, it's it does take two hands and that is all we can encourage, whether it's SCB, Surf Rider Foundation, the Sustainability Club, or your local politics and, you know, exercising your vote, your voice, 
please go out and do so. Exercise your 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 citizenship. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Hi, so it's Emily Young here, and I'm an organizer for the Albert L. Testa Memorial Symposium. If you want to hear about all the cool research that's going on by your peers, by your undergraduate and graduate student peers in the fields of natural sciences, conservation work, ecology, come along to our symposium April 10th to April 12th. It's going to be open door, so you can come in and check out any talks you want or any of the side events. Uh, You can find out more at manoa.hawaii.edu forward slash biology forward slash testa symposium and you can also find us on instagram at testa underscore uh thank you wow thank you so much everyone uh this is ari eisenstadt here signing off uh just want to express my appreciation for all these incredible sustainability warriors uh here on hawaii uh, thanks thank you all so much for listening to us uh, for engaging with KTUH. Uh, we actually have some fun events coming up in April, the 26th and 27th at Study Hall. We'll be doing a bar takeover. So come talk about sustainability, dance, uh, and get some great food there. Um, we have Earth Day coming up April 23rd. We have our U- uh, Human Rights Council uh, dialogue on April 17th. Uh, check us out at UNA Manoa, UH Manoa. Check us out at SSC UH Manoa, uh, GSO uh, Manoa, uh, and KTUH, the only station that loves you. Big shout out again to, to everyone here, to David, our sound engineer, who's been doing such a great job. David! We appreciate you all so much, and we will see you next month. Aloha! Aloha! Aloha. Aloha.